Hello, welcome to Liberal Europe, a podcast on ideas, politics and all things European, European Liberal Forum project. My name is Leszek Jaszczewski and I really hope that you enjoyed the show. Hello, it's Leszek Jaszczewski today. Uh, welcome to Liberal Europe podcast. Um, we're going to discuss Poland's and Polish elections. And my guest today is Andrzej Bobinski, director of the leading Polish analytical center, Polka Insight. Andrzej, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. So um, tell me and tell us, our listeners, why 300,000 Poles manifested yesterday on the streets of Warsaw? Well, I think there's two reasons. There's a political reason, uh, an electoral reason, that's sort of one cloud of reasons, and the other is, um, I'd say, I don't know, civic and um, civilizational. I started with the second. Basically, this was an anti-government march which was organized to show to, to give a feeling that people are unhappy with what is going on in Poland. They've been unhappy for the last eight years. This has been fueled and speeded up by events of the last week, especially by the signing into life of a state commission for the investigation of Russian influence in Polish life, which is unconstitutional and undemocratic. Um, I won't go into that because there's other lawyers and uh, constitutionalists who can explain this better than I can, but basically they're right. And uh, so on the one hand, this was this was basically an occasion for many, many people to express their discontent with the direction in which Poland is heading. On the other hand, this was the, the actual start of the campaign, the electoral campaign uh, of the biggest anti-government uh, opposition party, which is the civic platform. And basically the march was intended to give um, hope to this electorate, to mobilize this electorate, to um, show people that the opposition can win in Poland, and also to, I think, scare the other side, to scare law and justice, uh, to show them... To, basically, this was a show, show of strength. About a, about a month ago, uh, in the interview for the weekly Politica, you said that your base scenario for for upcoming elections is the 55% chance for the opposition to take over power. What's your predictions now? Does this march influence your view of upcoming upcoming campaign? I think it's a bit higher than 55% today. That said, I think it would be a mistake uh, at this point to try to choose winners and losers because I think there's still a lot of things that will happen in this campaign. Um, I think what we're seeing is sort of a sinusoid of emotions and of support and of hope on both sides. And I think that June is a very good month for the opposition. So I think there's going to be some euphoria, especially after this march, there's going to be this feeling that we can do it, that the opposition is ready to win this. And I think that that's a sentiment and an emotion that's very important for the opposition and very much needed. So in that sense, I think this helps the opposition and raises their chances of winning. But having said that, if this march will not be followed by a spike in the polls, and by that I mean at least three percentage points, a, a rise by three percentage points for the civic platform, and on top of that, that these three percentage points will not be taken away from the other opposition actors, um, then there might be a feeling of a certain deflation. I mean, of this feeling that... You know, the, the balloon the balloon is very pumped up and at some point we're going to see that maybe um, it's not going as well as 
many people hoped. So in that sense, I think that this was a very good weekend for the opposition. I think that also due to the events of last week, this was a very bad week for the ruling party. So I think the chances of the opposition winning are growing, but there's still a lot of time, a lot of events. And uh, I think we're going we're gonna to see um, both sort of, you know, um, ups and downs in, in this um, attempt to, to figure out who's going to win this in the end. So I think we're going to be wiser in uh, September, early September, after the, the vacation period, when we're going to see sort of the, the cards will be dealt and then we're going to see who's starting, what the polls are and um, how the campaigns are faring. Do you think that uh, the fact that opposition is not united, unlike in Turkey and Hungary, when curiously both uh, both times opposition failed to win in elections? In Czech Republic, we had two basic blocks of the opposition where opposition won. Do you think that uh, we can still, still see some reconfiguration before the actual campaign uh, will begin? Do you think that 300,000 people like demanding one list so at least, well, at least basically perhaps three opposition parties to unite or even four parties to unite. Do you think this is feasible to expect? And is it actually, uh, would it be actually good for the opposition to unite? Or maybe actually they need to be separated and this is the way for maximizing votes um, in, in, in the elections? I'll start with the easy question. If it's going to happen, I don't know. Actually, what I think is that Donald Tusk will be looking at the polls over the next week, week and a half. And I think if he's going to be, see a big spike in his following, if he's going to see a chance of overtaking peace, then he will do everything and he will use all means available to him to try to unite the opposition. If he will feel that he's, he has a, a, a strong chance of overtaking peace here now in June, then I think they're going to go for one list. If that doesn't happen or it doesn't happen as fast as uh, Tusk and the civic platform would like, then I think they might have a sit down and try to figure this out because um, basically if they're not going to overtake peace, then I think they need at least two or maybe three lists to sort of smear out the support to try to um, pull in as many voters with who have different worldviews, different expectations come from different backgrounds in order to, to win this. But basically, what I think we saw yesterday, and I wouldn't call that a game changer, but there is this feeling that Tusk and Kaczynski are playing for the strongest possible polarization. And both in Hungary and in Turkey, at least in Turkey, it feels that um, at the end of the day, Erdogan was stronger. And basically, at the end of the day, he had more people behind him. I can imagine a situation in Poland where the pendulum will swing towards the opposition. I don't know if it's going to happen, but it feels as if this is possible. So I think it's a question of a decision to be made, and it's a decision to be made fairly soon if they're going to try and play this the way the Czechs did and run, I'd say, on three separate lists or... Otherwise, if they're going to try and see if in this polarization game where it's, you know, 50-50, who's stronger, they're going to try and overtake this. But I think in order to decide to, to go sort of um, 
towards a full polarization campaign, you need to be up front at the beginning of the of the race. And for the moment, they're not. So they need to they need to feel that they've overtaken peace. When that happens, I think they're gonna they're gonna uh, try to unite. So the reason why I, I'm not perhaps that optimistic is that um, my, my feeling, and it was from the beginning when Tusk came back to Polish politics, was that he's strong enough to dominate the, the opposition and perhaps even destroy. He didn't manage to, to um, let's say, subject the, the other parties to his will or create a kind of partnership coalition that existed before in 2019. But he's definitely capable of like getting them to, let's say, five, seven percentage points, which in the case of both coalitions uh, in, in, in Polish, uh, in Polish uh, election law, it means that if you're below eight percent threshold, you don't get into the parliament. It was the basic reason why law and justice ruled in that. Uh, 2016 mm-hmm. and don't you think that this is there is a danger that, that for some reason and i want to ask you why later on why why civic platform cannot um achieve 30 percent more um in, in the polls but there is a chance that he, he might take one or two percentage points from the other parties they might be in danger of not getting into the parliament but they still may, may they may still run separate campaigns because it might happen in the very late stage of the campaign it might happen in september and uh, and there is a chance that one of them uh, wouldn't the, the left or the 2050 and the peasant party, let's say uh, PSL, might not get into the parliament. And this is the this is the scenario that I I'm afraid is quite realistic if polarization happens. But doesn't but so the basic scenario is that in the referendum between Poland of Tusk and Poland of Kaczynski, Poland of Kaczynski wins unfortunately. But in the referendum of Peace Poland and anti-peace Poland, the anti-peace Poland wins. So coming back to, to, to your answer, how do you think it might play out that uh, Tusk is playing for himself? It doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's, it's actually a good winning strategy. Do you think there is a way without one list that in which polarization plus can actually work for the opposition? So polarization plus the the other parties which get enough votes and they form the, the winning coalition? Or do you think it might be the other, other way around? The polarization kills the small parties and then Kaczynski wins. I don't think there's a silver bullet. I don't think you can sit down and come up with the best possible solution to the problem because what matters more than what they're going to decide at this point is how the election campaign will play out. Having said that, if you look at the polls, what you see is that there's a, there's between 52 to 55 percent of polls who are against, uh, who are voting for opposition parties, basically. Then there's around 35 percent of polls who are willing to vote for peace. And there's about 10 to 12 percent of polls willing to vote for the extreme right for Confederacia. Now, I don't see any good reason for peace to rise above that 35 percent. And having said that, I don't think that polarization and even an anti-Tusk referendum will help them um, rise above that. The only way that I can imagine that they can get more support than they have now is by strongly demobilizing the opposition and that we have a very low turnout. And then that 35% of the peace vote turns suddenly becomes 40-42. But that would you would need a very strong demobilization and I don't really see that happening now. So, so that, because that's not the way peace is able to play. I mean, if they're going to play 
this polarization card, I think they're going to mobilize pretty much everyone. So on the one hand, it feels, looking at the polls, looking at support, that whatever poll you don't read, the opposition has a big lead if you sum their support over peace. So that's one thing. I can imagine a scenario which you talk about in which Khovnia has, say, 10 percentage points now, Levitsa has 7 percentage points now, and the civic platform has, what, 33%, right? They're still slightly below peace. Khovnia is close to the threshold, but he's still above, so he thinks, I can do this. He doesn't unite. Levitsa feels that they're still above um the left is still above the threshold, so they can do this. And then creeping up towards the election, they're going to lose voters because some of their voters will move towards the um, the, the civic platform, the biggest list. So your, your tactile voters will move. I can imagine that scenario. I don't think it's going to happen because I think that the players at the end of the day are rational. And I think politicians become more and more rational the closer they approach uh, election day. And I agree 100% that the moment Tusk came, it was all about Tusk and he was doing everything to uh, try to subjugate his other opposition partners. But I think that closer to the election, he knows that in order to win, he needs those votes. So uh, he has a partner in Vodimir Shajasta of the left. I think he has a partner in Władysław Kuszniak Kamish of the Peasants Party. And I think that when they're going to be sitting down to talks about how, how should we do this, I think um, I think basically it's going to be, they're, they're going to be rational players and they're going to be uh, taking decisions upon logic and not upon emotion. So that said, I think that whatever happens for the, for the moment, unless something, you know, very strange happens, the opposition still has a big lead uh, if you sum them up. And I think they won't make huge mistakes coming up to the campaign because basically they've been in politics too long to uh, to allow for this to happen. So I don't know if I'm optimistic or pessimistic, but I think that if you look at the numbers, it feels as if still the opposition has a fairly big lead, which you don't see in the polls because they're not united. So peace, law and justice is still leading. But that's um, that's not the actual state of affairs. So, uh, please explain why the civic platform, despite a huge activity of Tusk and the whole party, I don't think we ever had such a big uh, mobilization on behalf of this party, like going to which it, every every week they are in a different voivodeship, like different Polish region, let's say. And, uh, and it seems that actually a lot of people are attending those events, especially recently. Why it doesn't translate into the spike in the polls, despite so many mistakes on on, on behalf of, of law and justice in, in the last couple of weeks? Do, do you think that this is because of the Tusk leadership, lack of other, uh, let's say, faces taking part in the campaign? That this is basically preaching to the preaching to the converted already? What what are what are the main reasons in your opinion? I think the Basically, the main reason is that Tusk has a very strong uh, negative electorate. He has very many people who don't like him, and it's very difficult for people to say they're going to vote for the civic platform at this point. But I think the atmosphere is changing and will change, and at the end of the day, the closer you get to the elections, people will, regardless of the reasons for which they don't like Tusk, 
when they're going to be up against this choice, should I vote for Tuska, should I vote for Kaczynski? I think um, it's going to start going in Tusk's uh, favor. I think that the electoral campaign is only starting. I think that, regardless, I, I agree, there was a lot of activity and Tusk was doing a lot and that didn't translate into appalling success and that did cause uh, a lot of stress and tension in the in the, the electoral campaign of the civic platform. But they have less money than peace. And I think that now they're starting to run. Now they're starting to gain speed. So we need to see how this will play out over the next month. And then we'll see if they can rise. Because they, they were 28, 29% at some point, And they fell to 25 And this was also because of the f- fact that the opposition was fighting between themselves. So you had people who could theoretically vote for Tusk, but as he was fighting with Hovnia or the left or this or that and discussing whether we're going to have one list or two lists, etc., they uh, this was a good reason for them not to vote for Tusk. Once we know how the cards will be dealt, once we know how many lists there will be, I think that uh, once the campaign picks up and the campaign looks pretty professional and fairly well run or even well run at this point, so I think that there is going to be a bump. I think there is going to be a rise and we'll see how big it can be. But probably uh, there is, I mean, the, the, there is a, a ceiling to, to Tusk's support. And if he goes alone, then it will be difficult for him to, to rise about 30%, to rise about 35%. But I think the dynamic will change. I mean, I think that basically... These dynamics change in electoral campaigns and they change closer to, to an election. And I mean, the, the best example, which I think many people forget, is the election in 2015 when Bronisław Komorowski had a huge lead of Andrzej Duda. And it felt as if there was no chance in the world for Duda to win this. And then suddenly, pretty much with every week, you had you could see a very strong change of dynamic because people started talking to each other, looking at what's going on, etc., etc. This was a different situation. This was a different Poland. But I think we underestimate the dynamics of electoral campaigns. And I think that for the moment, it feels as if the opposition side has more Trumps on their hand. The government side, for the moment, looks as if they're running a weaker campaign and they're fighting each other and they don't really know how to win this. And they've tried a number of things and all these things have backfired. So what they still have is they have a very strong propaganda machine. They have a lot of money. They have much more money than than the opposition. And they have various extras which can help them. For example, all the ministries are working to help the electoral campaign. The state-owned companies are working to help the electoral campaign. They're, they're polling uh, huge numbers of polls, so they have they understand they know better what's going on because because they're spending a lot of money on polling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But this doesn't translate into a better campaign at this point, and I don't know if it will because, as I said, we've seen at least three attempts by Law and Justice to change the dynamic to 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 win this pre-election campaign which is before the vacations. And as I said, this hasn't worked out. This has backfired. Um, they're, on the def- they're on the defensive. Uh, you also said in, in this interview I quoted before that I, I quite agree that it is not events but processes that well, win campaigns or, or elections or influence elections 
what sort of these big processes you, you think are shaping the, the the outcome of upcoming upcoming campaign? Well, I think that actually the, the, there's two that are really big and and we don't look at on a everyday basis. One is the fact that basically people are tired with the people in government. And I think this isn't necessarily about peace or the civic platform or this or that. Since 1989, we saw a change every four years. Then the civic platform won two terms. So that was eight years. Now peace has been in power for eight years. And I think polls at the end of the day don't like people in power because they feel that these people are um, basically stealing, taking a lot from themselves, giving jobs to friends and family, etc., etc. And even if you don't see that in the polls, I think that this is a sentiment which makes for the government to, to lose support. And it's very difficult for people, I think, to say when the pollster comes and says, who are you going to vote for? If you voted for peace in the last seven elections, it's very difficult to tell a pollster, I'm going to vote for the civic platform or anybody else other than peace. But the moment you come into that voting booth and you think about your neighbors who maybe started working for a state-owned company, or who um, got this or that from the government and you didn't, et cetera, et cetera. So th- th- this, this is one process which I think is important and overlooked. It's this feeling that the, uh, the, the government is, has been in power for too long. So, so there's this. And the other thing is the economic situation, which, and this is, I think this is something that could work in pieces in, in the favor of the government. Um, the uh, economic situation isn't good. Inflation was very high, and this is a sentiment, and I've spoken to people who've been polling polls uh, for pretty much all the political parties, and everybody says that this is something that everybody brings up. I mean, this feeling that everything is more expensive than it used to is basically the strongest emotion that people are feeling. And at the end of the day, whatever peace doesn't do, and whatever, if they say it's Putin or the war or covid And even if they're right, that has nothing to do with it because basically at the end of the day, people believe that it's the government's fault that everything is more expensive. So these are the two main processes. And the third one, which is probably slightly weaker, but I I think is still fairly important, is that there is a civilizational change happening in this country. It's not happening as fast as some people would like for it to happen, but it's also a question of demography. A lot of the older voters uh, are dying. COVID also changed uh, demography some. And then you have younger voters coming in who have started their political life marching against uh, a change to abortion law. And there were huge protests um, in w- which really gave a lot of energy to, to young Poles. Um, so, so these worldview issues are playing a very different role than they did in the last two campaigns. And you can see that even in, in the PIS narrative. I mean, they're, they're not talking about the LGBT community that much. They're not even talking about abortion that much. I mean, it feels that the atmosphere is changing. The Catholic Church is a big problem um, for a number of reasons, but basically people are going to church less and less. There's less and less, less christenings, and there's practically no people who are willing to become priests anymore. So... I, I think that this is something, this is a civilizational change, which, and it's a process which is happening and it will be happening. And I think at some point it will speed up. It still hasn't speeded up, but this is one of the three processes which I'd say will influence the, the at the end of the day, the result of the election. 
And to close with the last question, uh, and I'm afraid I have to ask it, do you think, in your opinion, uh, there is a possibility that some non-democratic events might influence the outcome, um, that law and justice might try to, through controlled uh, bodies like the highest court, for example, try to change the outcome? I, I, I don't believe that you know, there will be stuff in booths with, yeah. with, with votes. I think it's un, really unrealistic. But I mean, do you think that there is the way in which the outcome of the elections might be put into question. Well, most likely by law and justice, but I suppose that also opposition might yeah. might might question it. Um, yeah. So so non let's say not not fully democratic events that might influence the the, the yeah. results. I, I think that if it's going to be if there's going to be a big margin for for one or the other party, then there is no space for any tampering with the results of the election. So if it's going to be either the opposition or the if, if the opposition will win by a big margin, then I think peace will not try to do anything undemocratic. If the if law and justice wins by a big margin, probably there will be protests and probably this will be protested by the opposition, but uh, I don't think that will change the outcome anyway. So in a scenario where we, there's going to be a big difference, then I don't think anything um, undemocratic will happen. We're going to have a dis- we're probably going to have a conversation if the if the election as such was free and fair, but I think the result will basically um, not be strongly protested or at least uh, will not be changed. If it's going to be close, that's a different story. And I have to tell you that up to last week, I thought nothing um, would disrupt the process, and I thought that President Andrzej Duda who is very close with our American allies and listens to what the outside world is saying is, in a way, a safeguard of the democratic process. What we saw last week, the fact that he signed the State Commission for Investigating Russian Influence into life so fast, started me thinking... And I have to say that um, that was one of the reasons why I got scared about where this is heading, because I felt that um, in terms of being a guardian of the democratic process, Andrzej Duda comes across as somebody who might not necessarily play the role that he should in a normal democratic process. So... What I'm trying to say is I don't I wouldn't say at this point that it's going to happen, but my level of stress over the last 10 days is bigger than it used to be. I I was pretty certain that it's going to be okay. Now I've started wondering where this is heading. Well, uh, maybe it was less optimistic note than our whole conversation for those who want uh, more pro-European anti-European Poland, but still please remain optimist uh, because pessimists suffer twice. Andrzej Bobinski, thank you so much for your insight. Andrzej Bobinski, political insight. Thank you. So that's all for me uh, for today. Please tune in for Ricardo next week. Until two weeks, goodbye. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And if you like what we are doing and want to help spreading the liberal values, please give us a five-star review and share with your friends.